This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. We're happy to be back after a, a little bit of a, a mini sabbatical, I would say. The you know the regular season soccer down here died down a little bit, and so it's a good time for us to kind of regroup. Uh, we've got uh, a quad pod tonight. Uh, we are Sans Omar Mubayad, who I believe is currently living through his own personal experience of the Money Pit, the fan, the, the Tom Hanks movie. I uh, just moved into a, a new uh, home and is uh, having some frustrations with that, so we wish him the best. Um, but let's get around to who we do have on the show. Uh, first off, Drew Hausman. Drew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, when you said Money Pit, I immediately thought of Oak Island, but that was terrible. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, moving on from Drew, we have uh, <laughs> we have um, Lee Fence. Lee, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I'm watching uh, watching the, the USL's Money Pit final here, and it's almost a goal. Yes, a very close shot. And Kate, we we are recording on the evening of uh, November eighth at about it's now nine twenty seven. PM, if you want to go back and sync up the game and watch along with us in case there's a goal, um, just a shot on goal. At the, the second half have started, uh, and yeah, it's fun to have some live soccer on as we're recording. Uh, we've also got Abel Iraola. Uh, Abel, how you doing, buddy? What's up? I'm glad to be on the pod for the first time with you guys instead of just doing the the interview that we latched onto a pod last. Ah, uh, yeah. So so Abel has uh, an interesting connection to the the site and the podcast and the whole thing. He has made an appearance before, but never with us. And part of that is because he spent uh, a few years, two years in Spain? Right, almost two years. Almost two years. Um, but but Abel is is 305. He's, he's part of the Miami contingent. And uh, um, he's written some stuff for the website as well. So you've probably seen his name pop up on there. But we're happy to have you here in the conversation. So even though it's weird to say welcome to you because you're a friend and we talk frequently, um, welcome. Happy to have you. Um, let's dive right in to the biggest news. And the biggest news was on Tuesday night, um, our little tiny slice of all the midterm news that is going on is the City of Miami uh, proposition initiative referendum. Uh, I guess it would be a referendum you'd call it. Um, the city of Miami voters approved by a pretty healthy margin, about 60% to about 39%, 61 to 39, if you're rounding up, I think. Um, they have approved the construction of Miami Freedom Park insofar as the city negotiates a deal with uh, the ownership of interest, uh, Miami CF. But the, the hurdle has been cleared. The hurdle that was placed by uh, the city of Miami Commission in July requiring a change to the city charter uh, it has been approved, and so now, again, we head into negotiations. We're kind of back where we were in July, weirdly, when Inter-Miami and the city commission were sitting, you know, face-to-face, hammering at the tails. Now we're getting into the specifics, but, again, for as long and as difficult as this process has been, to actually check off a box and clear a hurdle, that's really big news. Um, so let's start off with Abel, um, you know, a new man here. Uh, Abel, what are your conclusions from this? You've been pretty verbal on Twitter about this deal and what you think it means. Um, so now that the, again, now that the hurdle has been cleared, uh, what significance do you think this has for Inter Miami? Yeah, so I think the the importance of the vote is that it was a hurdle that was significantly cleared for Beckham. I think, um, like you said, it was sixty one. I was just looking at it before the podcast that that the precincts around the Melrees. And nearly all of them, literally except one, voted for it, uh, to have the stadium there um, by nearly the same margin. About 57, almost 58% of the communities around there voted for the stadium. The one that didn't was a difference of like 12 votes. Um, so I think that should go a long way. Obviously, they have to sway one of at least either uh, Willie Gort or Manuel Reyes, who... I believe last week we're still kind of campaigning against it and saying they hope it would fail. So that's really Beckham's next battle. 
that was, uh, you know, uh, we, we had a running live blog on the website on Tuesday. And uh, one of the things we noted in the live blog was the fact that uh, one of the things that I was keeping an eye on was not only the results, because first off, it had to win, duh, but it only technically needed a majority to pass. But passing at 50 and one half percent wasn't going to cut it. There needed to be some sort of groundswell to take it above and beyond that, that simple majority. And it appeared to be there. Getting to 60% to me is significant. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned that, again, I had close eye on was what were the communities in and around Grapeland thinking? How were they acting? Because you needed to push, well, like you said, one of those two commissioners is going to have to go from a no to a yes at some point in order for this to happen. Even though the yes vote has come through, and even though Jorge Mas is very vocal about the success of it and confident in what's going to happen. I mean, he was confident back in July that they were going to be able to deliver this kind of result when I spoke to him, and it they, they got it. So, of course, they have some confidence. But if you're looking in and around those precincts, those Grapeland Heights precincts, where where Mel Reese Country Club is, like you said, the results were pretty much at or above citywide levels. Uh, that was yeah. it, you needed some sort of push. You needed some sort of way to say, mm -hmm. okay, you know what? We've cleared the hurdle. Get off our backs. We did it. So if you know if you look at the precinct where um, the the water park and Mel Reese Country Club is, uh, five fifty one, it passed at fifty nine percent. If you go due west to the farthest west. Um, precinct in, in Grapeland, the one that uh, one of the precincts kind of adjacent to the country club. It's at 63%. The the softest areas were immediately to the west of Melrose Country Club and that's pretty obvious because they were a little bit uh, scared off by the traffic on Lejeune, but even if you get to one precinct over 549, it was at 6138. Uh, precinct 545, 6237. So the Grapeland community appears to be right on board with this, so far as everyone else in the city is on board with it. That's what jumped out to me. Um, Drew, again, you've been in in the soccer community for so long down here, uh, and this has been this kind of specter or cloud or whatever you want to call it. Is this going to happen? Do you think that we are now legitimately one full step closer to Major League Soccer coming back to Miami? I would say it's a full step. I mean, getting getting that vote specifically is huge because at anything else, you can turn back and just say, hey, look, the majority of the public in the city of Miami at, you know, said that they wanted this. Now, there's still going to be uh, a hefty amount of hurdles for them and uh, a lot more paperwork coming up and... and uh, uh, maybe not hurdles. It's it's maybe this is like the house, uh, the Home Alone house, where they got through the uh, the hot door, and now they're gonna have to step over micro machines and dodge the paint cans. But uh, they're definitely in the house now. I think that's a good way to put it. They're they're literally at the table, yeah. and the table is wet bandits. And the chairs could fall down and and send them through a trap door somewhere. But they are at a table. Um, so Lee, looking at this vote. Uh, you are a city of Miami resident. Uh, this will impact you more directly than everyone else because the actual municipal considerations of how much money will be coming in from the park, how much money will be coming in from the development, those are questions that will affect you. We, living outside city of Miami, we just get to enjoy the soccer if it comes. So what are, what are, what are your takes on this vote? You've talked about it a little bit, but now that it appears, like we said, it is... Uh, one half step closer to actually happening. What what do you think uh, are are the considerations that are going to come into play when the commission now heads back to the negotiating table? Um, you know, I'm not really surprised that people voted for it. If you gave me a choice of a golf course or you know a fully open park uh, right across the street from my house, I would vote for a fully open park as well. Um, I think the thing is, you know. Jorge Mas is, is no fool. I think he's he's come across as this kind of like savior, but let's be real about it. He's a very, very successful businessman. And the whole thing has been built around a lot of ambiguous language. So I think the concern now is, you know, what are the actual nuts and bolts of what is actually going to happen there? You know, we've seen like kind of one artist rendering that gets trotted out time after and time. What's it going to look like? What's the access going to be like? You know, Overtown was better for like public transit. You know, this is going to be more people driving. Is there going to be parking underneath it? So I think the actual, you know, mechanics of how this will work is now what's going to be important. If they come up with a good plan 
this is how we're going to do it and this is going to work because all we've got now is like buzzwords you know <laughs> kind of you know artist rendering yeah and this whole thing about the soccer fields they say we're, oh, we're going to have these soccer fields that are open to all does that mean they're going to be free to use does that mean they're going to be 100 bucks an hour like every other soccer field in miami so i think what they've got to come with now is the detail they've come with a plan the plan is good people want the plan what's the actual detail of what is actually going to be there what's actually going to be built there and i think that's what people need to know to make a final decision because we still don't know yeah and if i can piggyback on that too i think going into this election because of how rushed it was there was a lot of uh, misconceptions on both sides on how everything would operate because i you know i saw one side say well look at the five soccer fields on the side and I live in the city of Miami too, and you know, if I want to go play tennis at the park by my house, I have to pay to use it. It's not, it's not. I could just walk in and use it. So I, I assume those are going to be paid to use. Where I feel like on one side they were kind of using them at like, look at these free parks for everybody to use, and then at the end of the day, who's going to get caught on the bill like with that? But now here's where they're all going to, like Lee was saying, they're all going to have to get really specific with the verbiage, and we're going to find out kind of how everything is going to operate, which. Uh, I wish it was out before the vote, but it's what it is. Yeah, that's just yeah. to jump back in before we, before we finish. It's like, yes, the, the vote was specifically about like amending the charter and like you know, and, and the negotiations. So now we got to get down to it. We got to get down to the negotiations. What's going to actually happen precisely there? Yeah, I think right. the thing that um, actually, Abel, you go ahead. I know you were trying to jump in. I'll I'll, I'll piggyback off everything what you're. Yeah, no, I I think that that's especially one of the main concerns. Um, like you guys said, was the lack of details during the vote, and in that was the fact that, you know, people were basically going off of what Jorge Mas pledged in that last um, big city council meeting that they had, and those pledges were like, you know we would be in favor of preserving First Tee or expanding it. Um, those kinds of sort of big promises that now they have to get serious about, um, especially if they want to get these opponents on board and say, we're serious about hosting them, we're serious about hosting um, high school athletics, which I think they promised in that meeting too. Um, they're going to have to go through the list of Jorge Mas, of things that Jorge Mas said he would do in that <laughs> meeting. Um, and... and say what they're actually going to do with all of that you know i i i will i i think take a uh i don't i don't want to say like an opposing view here because you, you're not really putting forward like a negative view but i do think that a lot of people viewed that july uh commission meeting uh as though like it, they were just trying to get it on the ballot and that was it there were a lot of there were a lot of very specific details that the ownership group that Jorge Mas himself committed to in front of the commission and that basically the commission made clear to him, you're doing this or we're not agreeing to any deal. Because still, the commission still has the upper hand in all of this. Even though the, the obviously the it helps the soccer group that they did get this kind of ringing endorsement from the community, the commission can still just say no. And they could say, well, we don't want it to be the Marlins deal, throw the Beckham Moss group under the bus and that'll be that. And it'll be no skin off their nose. To, to me, again, sitting in that, that that commission hall for God knows how many hours, it, it, it was a, there was a real effort to me, again, color me, naive or whatever, there seemed to be a real effort on the part of that ownership group uh, to, to make those commitments that were going to be necessary. You know, I mean, they basically turned one of those soccer or two of those soccer fields into a high school football stadium overnight, almost quite literally. Um and that was something that Joe Carroyo had, had insisted upon, that basically he would not budge because he made it very clear he doesn't care about soccer, which was hilarious considering it was a commission meeting on a soccer team. Um, but it seemed like, I mean, as we as was said earlier, Jorge Mas is no, uh, you know, no, no spring chicken. He's been in these fights before, and he usually wins these fights. And I know, Abel, you were one person, especially, and I was on the same page right there with you. Bringing Jorge Mas onto this ownership group, to me, and I think to you too, was the key to all of this because you finally had someone plugged into the local community who knows how to win, who knows how to get things done, and that matters so much in Miami. And I think knowing what, what he needed to do to get in front of the commission and get this vote to where it is, I think, that, I think those promises 
maybe one or two gets amended or tweaked, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of wiggle room for the ownership group because otherwise it's just going to be, you know, hit the road, Jack, and try somewhere else. Absolutely. And I think some of some people's votes were predicated, and you saw this in the way that the Herald endorsed the project, um, on how much, you know, trust people have in, in the Moss family. Um, and when you build a little bit or a lot of the vote on that, then, you know, you kind of have to make sure that you follow up. And I think I was just thinking back to that meeting, and there's one little asterisk in in what Jorge Moss was uh discussing there that I'm really interested to see how it pans out because I remember that they had a discussion about um, the remediation. Obviously, Mel Reese is one of these to uh, toxic sites, which we have all over Miami. Um, and I believe Jorge Moss said that they could do it for something in the ballpark of 30, 35 million. 35 and, million was the estimate that they provided right. to the city. And the city, and the city is convinced that it's going to be many times that. And when they asked Jorge Moss, you know, are you committed to paying that difference? Are you committed to paying if it costs 50 million or a hundred million to remediate the site? And that one, that question, he dodged a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I assume they'll start doing studies if they're not doing them already. Um, what the price is going to be on that um, and what their reaction would be if it's a little higher than they thought. I would say that to, to kind of like, uh, you're totally right. The, Jorge Mas did not commit to spending more than $35 million on remediation. Um, he did say, however, that the city would not pay for it. Now, what he's basically saying there, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is we're going to apply for state and federal grants to make up whatever difference there is. Uh, but they think that their responsibility will be $35 million, and the city, they, they basically the commitment was the city will not pay a dime for remediation, which t is a pretty bold statement. Like you said, if you do the kind of acre-to-acre -acre comparison of some of the other remediation projects, including those in Coconut Grove, where Ken Russell was able to speak on, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're going acre-to-acre, -acre, the estimate would be somewhere in the ballpark of $150 million. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I did the math on that while I was sitting in chambers. And I was like, <laughs> I know there's been a project like this before. How many acres was that and how much was it? And so $35 million to that is quite, quite, quite conservative. Now, maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe he knows that the, the, the park isn't as contaminated as some of the other parks that have been remediated. But $35 million plus whatever state and federal money might be available might not cover it. And again, the ownership group said if, if it is beyond expenditure, if they can't cover it, they they would move away from uh, Mel Reese. So there, like, like we said, there are booby traps here. There are lots of trapdoors that can still be fallen through. But we now get to the negotiating table. Well, how much time do they have to negotiate this? Because isn't there a requirement that they break ground on it within a certain amount of time with MLS? So, so, so actually, yeah, Jorge Mas just said after the election that they're trying to get permits done to break ground by November of next year. Um, I would guess they're going for they're trying to get the building permits by November of next year. So I would guess that that's their MLS deadline. Yeah, I seem to I seem to remember the twenty late twenty nineteen fall twenty nineteen being discussed as kind of a you know make a move date. Um, now I would also say, considering everything we know about this process, I would take any MLS deadlines with an enormous gigantic grain <laughs> of rock salt because right. if if. <laughs> If things are actually moving and progressing and they can show that to the league, I'm certain that the league will say, oh, okay, and just say, well, we're going to kick this down the road a little bit because, good Lord, it's taken half a decade at this point. We can afford to wait six months or whatever the case may be. Um, I think the, the, the very interesting character in all of this, and this is the name to bookmark and, and make note of, um, over the next six months or so is going to be Commissioner... Willie Gort. Um, Manolo Reyes is the other no vote, and based on his uh, opinion on that on that dais uh, back in July, I think he's going to be no until you know the second coming. I don't think he's going to move off his position. But Willie Gort is the commissioner for Great Blend Heights in the area around Mel Reese. And what I find interesting is I actually just did a little bit of uh, like, oh, has he released a statement or said anything? Not that he should have. 
But if you look on Willie Gort's city website um, right now for District 1, miamigov.com slash District 1, you can actually see the first story on the page is Mel Reese Golf Training Center ground baking at the Mel Reese Golf Course. Um, and so I, I do wonder when that might that story might have happened and maybe if this is a kind of act of defiance to communicate where he might be falling. But Willie Gord is, is definitely going to be a very important figure in Miami City politics in the next few weeks and months. Um, so any other uh, comments stadium-wise? I think we can maybe shift into some more general soccer talk. Yeah, uh, if you want to talk to the temp sites, I know Lee... Lee did a really good article on uh, magiccity.soccer yes. about uh, potential temporary sites. Um, I don't want to get too in-depth into it because I think Lee did a good job of covering it. So if you haven't been to our website, go to magiccity.soccer and check and, out Lee's uh, article. But uh, I kind of want to get... I'll be sure to retweet that out uh, a little bit later tonight uh, so that if people want to view that. I mean, it's a few weeks ago, but you, you could probably still find it on the first couple pages, but we'll make it easier for you and, and ship that out. But yeah, Lee actually did a very interesting breakdown, kind of a point system. Well, Lee, why don't you describe what you wrote and then we'll we'll, we'll kind of bounce off it. Yeah, there. you know, it was kind of, I, I've made no secret of the fact that I think we badly need a soccer-specific stadium in this city, you know. <clears throat> I, I, I favor the Overtown project a little bit more, but, you know, we're going to get this nice shiny new park, probably. Um, but of course, the question is, where do you play while that is all being built and put together. So, um, again, go and read the article, but you know, there's, there's maybe five venues that are realistic across, um, across South Florida. And, um, and, you know, I just really looked at, you know, what makes most sense for, you know, people getting to the stadium, transit, that sort of thing. What makes most sense for like playing soccer on, you know, not all the surfaces are ideal for that. And, you know, People in Miami are a little bit fickle and apathetic, so you've got to give them the right experience too. So it's all very well saying, hey, let's just go to the Hard Rock. But I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that. You know, that has its own drawbacks. So, uh, you know, it's that move in itself is an interesting move to look at because every step along the way has got to be the right step or a step in the right direction. And there's still some missteps they can take, even with a temporary venue. Yeah, I definitely think uh, of the the venues that have been kind of officially discussed by uh, Jurgen Manka, Jorge Mas, and, and the Inter-Miami CF ownership group, I think there are some clear logical choices and some a couple of illogical choices that slipped in there. Um, I do think they're trying to keep their, their options open and try to give themselves some leverage in all this so that one one venue doesn't take them for a total ride. Um, but like we said, go, go and check that out and, you know, leave a comment or comment on Twitter and, and give us your take. But there, there are a few interesting choices that Inter-Miami CF will have to make in the next few uh, next few months because, again, if this team plans to kick off in 2020, you know, they basically have 18 months to get from here to there. Uh, you know, for as much as we've been talking about, oh, there's been taking so much time, you know, this this new deadline that has been kind of instituted to start the team off, um, it's coming quicker than you think. Um, so, Inter-Miami CF, big victory for them. Let's take a, a pivot into the local soccer scene a little bit more because that's what we're we're best here. Uh, you know, we, we, we love the, uh, the, the lower level guys. Uh, let's, let's talk about MPSL, um, Miami FC 2's home last season, um, fourth division, uh, along with other potential prospective ideas, it appears there might be an NPSL third division next year. What, what do you mean by NPSL third division? NPSL pro, yes. Am I, am okay. I mistaken? Uh-oh. Here comes uh, yeah, Lee. Here I, comes I, I, Lee. I've, I've never heard it called that before. It just threw me for a loop for a couple of seconds. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, well, obviously, you know, the the background here is that th there are certain clubs that are outside now of the the US soccer's you know professional league system and you know there are certain clubs where you know the guidelines that you have to fulfill to get into that they can't do it and i think um, i think you look at the two teams that are going to be in this MPSL pro that are illustrative of that is Detroit City and Chattanooga now um, both these teams play in the um, MPSL right now, and both have good support, but they they lack these things that you need to move up to professional division as things stand. I think it's to do with the size of the market you're in, 
and your investor. I think with Detroit City, um, they don't have the you know that level of investor. It has to be someone worth ten million dollars or something like that off the top of my head. With Chattanooga, they're not in a market that is big enough. I think for them to be able to be accepted by a pro division. <laughs> now, the, the counterpoint to that is you've got teams like Cosmos and Miami FC, who, you know, neither of those teams are ever going to be accepted into the MLS. So what can they do? Like, there's not a lot of options for them. The NASL has gone, so they ended up in the NPSL. Now, the, M the National Premier Soccer League is basically the de facto fourth division, even though it's not got any sanctioning. It's the non-league. It's equivalent to, say, um, the conference in, in England or something like that. Right. So, but it's, it's a short season. You know, the season was done and dusted with the playoffs by August. So you've got this bunch of teams who want to do something a little bit different. You know, they don't want to pay franchise fees. They don't want to play MLS2 teams in front of no one. Um, and I think it's come down now to there was a little teaser of a report this week. Uh, that there's 11 teams who are sort of looking at working together next year to to start an NPSL Founders Cup after the NPSL season, moving on to building up to a fully professional, which I'm not allowed to say according to the US soccer, a professional <laughs> division um, and after that. So this is, even with this, there's still not a lot of detail, there's still a lot of ifs and buts, but to reel the clubs off the top of my head, it's the Cosmos, Detroit City FC, Milwaukee Torrent, who I discovered through this, and they sound amazing. No, they're Chattanooga FC, <laughs> Miami United FC, Miami FC. I don't know how Miami United is still in there. Um, you know, I can't imagine what that's going to look like, you know, playing in front of nobody in Ted Hendricks Stadium, but they're still in there. Good on them. San Diego, Cal United, Cal FC, FC Arizona, and Oakland Roots. So... We've got no details. We don't know how it's going to happen. There could be more teams in there. Um, but this is, you know, this is where Miami FC is going to end up. You know, they're not going to go to the USL. The USL is not the right fit for them. Um, they're not going to go into um, NICER. Um, that's not the right fit for them either. So they're going to work with these clubs to try and start their own thing. Um, I think it's exciting. But then it, it, there's lots of ifs and buts. Yeah, and I think the, the, the NPSL owners meeting is in this November in um, mm -hmm. uh, Minneapolis. So I'm sure in, in December we'll start getting some more information from there. Originally on Sock Takes, one of the uh, commissioners or one of the board members uh, basically said there was a, a kind of a non-disclosure agreement signed by all the clubs involved. So I'm not sure if that list is list is going to be final. The one the one team on that, the 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 list you rattled off, which I was really surprised with, uh, was the Oakland Roots because they haven't played a game yet. They're a brand-new team out of uh, Oakland, California, so it kind of takes me as a surprise that in you know these are kind of seem like the more prepped and seasoned uh, uh, NPSL teams that kind of have some experience under their belt and want to take it to the next level that uh, you know maybe maybe they're thinking too much of themselves or maybe they have just... Uh, some good bankroll investors, but when I saw Oakland Roots on there, I was like, "What the? F <laughs> What's going on?" You know. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Sorry, Drew. It's interesting you bring up money there because I think this is one of the key things about it. Because if you go and play ball with um, with US soccer, you you've got to do it within their financial requirements. Now, you know that's not necessarily a good thing, and I think what these clubs are looking at is that they want the power to invest. In, on the field rather than invest in the league. You know, the USL, the franchise fee is $7 million. I mean, $7 million just to join the USL before you've even signed a player or kicked the ball, you know? At MLS is obviously higher. So, you know, I, I was talking to someone on Twitter about this uh, the last couple of days. You know, these teams, they want to invest in players. They want to invest on the product on the pitch. And so, you know, I think that this, you've got a group of clubs here who have sat down together and thought, how much do we want to be spending every season? How much do we want to be like investing in our playing staff? You know, what things do we not want to be paying? We don't want to be paying franchise fees. We don't want to be, I'm sorry, we don't want to be kissing ours to like suits at the US soccer. We want to be concentrating on the actual football. And that they have these like-minded clubs, you know, there's a long way to go, but, um, but, but yeah, it's, um, I think the financial motivations are one of the main reasons behind it. In 
the sense that they control their own destiny. Yeah, I, th I think that's the best way of saying it. Rather than being like told what to do by people who are a little bit out of touch. Yeah, I think that's why this particular structure fits uh, Miami FC so well, like you yeah, said, Lee. exactly. Because it, from the jump, it has been a team that is seeking to kind of uh, go its own way, to kind of exist knowing what the challenges are, but kind of basically head, put its head down and head into the, the center of the storm anyway. Um, I think that the, the, the mix of teams that will be going into this league is critical for its success because it because as you said even though i did kind of refer to it as like division three and it's because division three doesn't exist and because npsl is de facto division four even though like you said it, it is not in the same kind of certification structure basically they're trying to fill a, a gap that currently doesn't exist they're trying to fill a niche um in that quote-unquote division three hole again so being able to build something that would actually support these local teams and kind of create a functioning league nationwide it basically is trying to do something that the NASL tried to do and and wasn't trying to do originally but eventually got around to trying to do but couldn't do it because they had spent too long trying to focus on co-certification at League One and, mm -hmm. and all the other yeah. issues that we've discussed ad infinitum here. This league coming into it with this like correct perspective of like we're just going to try to fill a niche that exists. We're going to try to create an opportunity for clubs to flourish and see where it goes from there. To me, that's really fascinating. And it could be a recipe for success for non-league American football, which, you know, as we've basically been talking about, has been limited to summer seasons and college players. Yeah, and I, I hope that'll bring up just kind of general attendance for NPSL. Like, if... if if this league does well, then maybe, you know, like teams like Booker, Tone FC, or Minneapolis, or teams that aren't in it yet will kind of get more of a buzz being on the radar because you'll maybe follow a little bit more of the the NPSL as a whole because there's, you know, 96 teams over however many divisions. So hopefully it'll boost those clubs up a little. But it's interesting, too, because now this year they're where we didn't have a D3 in previous years. Now we're going to have two D3s with Nisa and... Um, and uh, USL too, so <laughs> uh, those those are also shaky grounds too. Where I'm surprised, you know, Nisa is, seems like a kind of unstable system, and USL two is just kind of USL two, where all the B teams fell back, and it seemed like they uh, market poached some areas too. But um, it, it's a smart move for the NPSL. I, I can only see it strengthening the brand, and you know, I think if a, a team falls off or can't financially afford it, I feel like hopefully if even if the first year or two it's not that successful, there's going to be other teams right at the brink that kind of want to step up their level and maybe test the waters. So it won't be a thing where, oh, my gosh, this didn't work for us. We didn't have the money for it. You know, they can still fall back on the NPSL. But then I, I feel like there's going to be teams that, you know, maybe want to give it a test or can, can financially try it out for a year. So um, it's going to be I, it's I, going to be a hectic year. <laughs> So just jumping real quick there, which, sure. like Drew says to try it out for a year, I think the entire setup here is they want to stop this whole year by year by year like grind, which is horrible for the players, horrible for the fans, and it must be horrible for the people who work for the teams too. I think that they've sat down and thought, how can we start something that we can all commit to for a good five, seven, ten years, you know, that we can keep trying it even when times get tough so we don't have to keep starting up Grand opening, grand closing. You know, <laughs> it's, it's stop to stop all that. It's like, okay, we'll start with these eleven teams. We'll start with this. You know, can we play players more? If we're paying players more than in the USL, we're going to have better players. If the product on the pitch is better, I think it's about building a genuine alternative rather than trying to force that NASL-sized peg into a US soccer-sized hole, which just didn't work. It didn't work. So let's try something different. You know, some people want to go and watch, you know, MLS's Muck Soccer, you know, clap when the fucking Jumbotron tells them to. And some people want something different. How many people are out there in America that want that? We're going to find out. And how many people maybe we can turn and will come over and how many new people come to the sport? You know, that's, that's the gamble with it. And the other gamble is we'll see how cool these clubs are about Pro Rel when one of them finishes at the bottom of MPSL Pro. 
and they get told, right, you're going back down to the MPSL Pro and playing three months of the year, and uh, these guys are coming up. I mean, that will be the real test of if ProRail can actually properly work in this country. And that's something that's very fascinating to think about. I do think that kind of going off of what Drew said, and, and you mentioned ProRail, and I'm glad you did, I do think it gives the opportunity for kind of going off what Drew, Drew said, and I'm sure, Lee, that the intention is we're going to make this thing and it's going to be rock solid and we're going to, out of the gate, we're just going to kick ass and take names. But having this kind of spring out of NPSL to kind of grow up instead mm-hmm. of growing down, with which most other leagues do, it's you start out big and then ex- expand down. Since they are expanding up, it does give them the opportunity of kind of like a self-imposed, like self-conscious uh pro rel that if there is a team that eventually somewhere down the road decides you know what we want to take a stab at this full season pro thing um and then eventually comes the conclusion oh wait no we've made a huge mistake it Uh doesn't lead to that churn of well that team's gone they're done very good point matt there is a soft landing there is a a a a a home base to come back to okay well you tried you couldn't quite hack it relegate yourself you know yeah yeah not and in, it's like, and it's not, not the end of the not world because you're going back to a short season in a gentle way it's like all right you, you you did your best but i guess your best wasn't good enough time to dial it down and come back to your level where you can settle in yeah yeah like you just it's it's your club doesn't have to fold you can just go back to being a regular mpsl team which you're operating as before and you know you don't have to fold up shop you can go back to playing just a short season so and then uh, I, I, I almost kind of see a similarity in what how the U, new USL structures too with some of these teams going into the USL too. I, I still can't refer to them by their proper names, but <laughs> it's kind of like that where Penn FC this year and the USL was like, hey, we're broke. We might not exist anymore. And now luckily there's a league for them uh, where they kind of just self-relegated themselves and they're going to play with the two teams for a while and maybe if their you know, fan base picks up and stuff, they can say, hey, we want to go back to regular USL and play with the uh, the big boys again. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's I see a lot less ways to kill clubs out of this, but it, now with all these teams everywhere, <laughs> you know, we're just going to need uh, a lot more American fans to be uh, more willing to uh, come out to the these lower division games because it's 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 like it's it's a bit of a risk for us down here at miami fc um because you know people think people some people think we've gone already some yeah. people think we're dead already and some people and some don't people, know we even left ricardo silva and are in the lower <coughs> league they're like oh yeah <laughs> and, and and some people think it's a matter of time you know 2020 comes around and that's it and it's like it's not true like we're not going anywhere we're not shutting up shop we're not becoming their b team we're not merging with the MLS team. It's like, I, I, a lot of people slag off Ricardo Silva, but, you know, I like him. And, and he's always said there's room in this city for two teams, um, which is bad news for Miami United, I guess. But, uh, but I agree with that. I, I think that once this city starts to get a little bit of soccer culture in it, I think, I, I think this, team, this, this city can sustain two teams. And um, it'll be interesting if, if the MPSL Pro grows um, the, the competition between that and the MLS team. How Miami United fit into this, I don't know. I don't know how they get a team on the field. I don't know how those players feel playing in front of no one, but maybe this will be a good thing for them. Maybe a Miami derby in a national league, you know, that's done right and promoted well, you know, maybe we can support three teams, you know. It's, 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 it's interesting. But, um, but, yeah, like Drew says, I think this might stop this, this churn of, of clubs opening and closing, even like in this part of the world which can only be a good thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting times. I feel like we're coming out of the dark ages into the, into the light of varied soccer and a product for everyone. I, I do think the biggest benefactors in all of this are kind of, I would say, and, and I, I don't mean to say this as an insult to like anyone who would hear this who would be from one of the cities, I'll use an example, but kind of like third-tier metropolitan areas, not huge metropolitans and not secondary cities like St. Louis or Baltimore, um, but like cities like, and the example that comes to mind, it's actually a huge compliment because I think they really have something going there that's quite interesting and, and they proved it to me when, when Miami FC 2 played them in the playoffs, but like a city like Little Rock where mm-hmm. you would never think soccer team in Little Rock, 
But the NPSL being there and giving them an opportunity to feel that kind of team, they have fans. They have an infrastructure built in, and there's no reason to think that that club can't sustain itself for forever because that that's built in and that's awesome. Um, I mean, even even like an, fourth rate, uh, like fourth rate cities that are like little swamp towns, like Jacksonville. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, we gotta have hope for them too. Um, nice dig, very nice dig. Um, so, but yeah, just giving them the opportunity to like actually feel the team in a kind of league that will continue to exist and persist. It allows those individual teams to know, you know, because sometimes it's the examples of the team shutting down overnight. And sometimes it's examples of the league shutting down overnight when you've had successful clubs. And so just trying to bake in and build in some freaking stability after all these years, that would be such a benefit to those smaller cities that are craving professional sports. And whether it's, you know, minor major league baseball or anything else giving those cities you know something to cling on to and say yep we're here and we're we're persisting and and we're thriving to me that's the best thing for the sport overall for the health of the sport in the country and and, and i think the players are going to be key as well you know i i do see a couple of the guys you know down at sack shape every now and again and you know the motivation for these guys is to to make money playing soccer and play in front of a good crowd so if you go to some, you know, some guy playing for Seattle Sounders two in Tacoma in front of, you know, hardly anyone, and they say, "Look, we're going to give you a 30, 50 percent pay rise, and you get to play at Keyworth Stadium, like in front of Detroit City FC's fans and Northern Guard," soccer players are going to jump at that chance. You know, there's, you know, there's not a lot of loyalty with soccer players, despite what people may think. And um, I think the the players could be the kingmaker in this whole thing. If, if players start migrating into these other leagues because they get paid better and there's a better atmosphere of the games, then uh, then it gets uh, even more interesting. Yeah, that will definitely be something to to keep an eye on in the in in the weeks to come, especially as you said those those owners meetings in December. What kind of announcement comes out from there? But there's a lot in the world of lower division soccer to keep an eye on, including you know the USL and and USL third division, whatever you want to call it. Nisa, whether that ever comes online and end this particular league, it'll be interesting to see. Um, let's let's go back towards uh, top tier soccer and let's talk about, uh, as we mentioned before the podcast started, the clusterfuck that is the La Liga North America <laughs> game that is supposed to scheduled maybe take place at Hard Rock Stadium in January. If you've been following along Magic City Soccer, we've done some some coverage of this potential. A North American game, this North American La Liga game, um, where Barcelona and Girona are supposed to come to the United States and play an actual league matchup. Um, the only problem is that basically every entity in global soccer that would have a say in it besides La Liga does not endorse the idea. Um, so, is this game going to kick off? Is this game a good idea? Will we see... Lionel Messi and Barcelona face off against Girona in Miami Gardens. Uh, let's go to the the man who who lived in Spain and experienced some of that for a couple of years. Abel, uh, Abel, what do you think uh, is going to be the situation with this game, and and what do you think the reaction is back in Europe? So, well, the reaction the the reaction in Europe has been pretty much uniformly, and, and I say Europe, not just Spain. This is something that uh, they see over there as just something that's that's wrong you know to, to take away um uh, a match from a team in their own country in front of their fans to to another continent um it's just a bad idea i think objectively um from the fans point of view is a bad idea and i personally i don't see it happening but i'm really curious to see what happens so to set up the stage for this basically this was an agreement between la liga um, the president, Javier Tebas, and Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins and the owner of Relevant, which brings soccer matches to Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Um, and the part that's flown a little under the radar is that it's not just this match. They signed an agreement for, I think they called it La Liga North America, to bring matches here for 15 years. So that's what they think they're envisioning this whole thing as. Now, you have the president of the Spanish FA who came out and said that the president of La Liga was way overstepping his bounds um, and could not agree to that. Um, you have the players' union 
which I believe they sent a representative from every club in the first division um, to state their opposition to it. And now you have the president of FIFA, Gianni Infantino, who said that he will do everything possible um, to stop it from happening. So um, it's a pretty uphill climb for for Javier Tevez and Steven Ross if they think they're going to get this done for January. And um, I'm also curious about the inclusion of, of Barcelona and Girona. Obviously, it's there's going to be a financial um, benefit for them in it. Um, of all the players that have spoken out on having the event here, the Barcelona ones are the ones who, you know, been more on the fence about it. They haven't been exactly as opposed to it as as players from other teams. Uh, so you kind of sense that there's some behind-the-scenes stuff going on to make it happen. And then, of course, uh, last week, Relevant sent out an email to their mailing list um, asking fans in the U.S. to petition, to sign a petition to bring the match here, which to me is not grassroots. It's completely astroturf, um, and I just don't see it happening. Uh, yeah, I would say when I got that email... Um last week as you said that was a sign whoops something's really up because they're trying to gin up support for this thing using their mailing list they don't feel very confident that this is actually going to happen um and considering how definitive and confident this was announced at the very beginning you had assumed that they would have gotten all the principles on the same page so that this was basically you know flipping a switch and making it happen and it appeared almost immediately that no one was on the same page the only people who were on the same page was the president of la liga and relevant sport, sports Stephen ross and his group um Considering how much Relevant has done work with La Liga and bringing them over to the United States, the International Champions Cup is overseen by Relevant Sports. It's why Miami gets so many games uh, in it and gets so many high-profile teams, and particularly La Liga teams. It seemed like a natural progression, but if we've known anything about European soccer and the commercialization of European soccer in the last decade or so, the one line you can't cross is moving games out of the country, league games, other games, Super Cups, things like that, possible. But that's that appears to be the line that people do not want to encounter, whether it's the 39th step in the Premier League or anything else, that will get that will rattle people's cages. And this just got announced so fluidly and easily, and then all of a sudden it seemed that the world was caving in on it, whether it was Infantino, the FIFA president, uh, poo-pooing it almost immediately, whether it was the captains of all the La Liga teams coming out and basically opposing it, uh, you know, the Spanish Federation opposed it. There were so many people who came out who would seem to have uh, veto power if they so wanted it, coming out and saying, no, we don't want this to happen. It, 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 it does not inspire confidence, not only for this game in 2019, but for any game coming over here. Uh, and cons again, considering that La Liga and Relevant basically formed a partnership and a company to oversee this, it, to me, it's rather shocking. Right, and and just again to, to look at it from a fan's perspective, um, Girona is actually having a surprisingly good year. They're up there. Them and Espanol are the Catalan teams that are up there with Barcelona this year. And to take away a match like that from the fans in such an important season, um, they just came up not that long ago. Even though they're one of those like uh, city football owned teams. Um, but they're doing really well, and to take that away from the fans is just wrong. And the solution that they had for that, I thought, was just the worst idea that you could have. They wanted to pay to fly fans over to watch the match, which is roughly a nine-hour flight from Barcelona. Watch the match, and then from the stadium, immediately go back to the airport and fly to Spain. Um, which, to me, sounds like probably the worst way to experience uh, watching your own club. Uh, yeah, Drew, could, could you, I mean, I guess you could imagine doing something like that because you've flown all kinds <laughs> of different places to watch soccer. But, I mean, that's that's a pretty extreme case of team devotion. Yeah, I mean, the, it, the whole idea was kind of ridiculous. I think last time we spoke about that, it was more of the U.S. aspect. Um I, as an American, it doesn't seem that ridiculous as an idea because we do the NFL Europe and NFL Mexico. But uh, I, I feel like our league games are, uh, you know, 
I don't know why, almost less important than that, but um, at the end of the day, I, I think it's good if it doesn't happen, because I think I said this a couple podcasts ago, but it, it's just going to end up hurt, hurting American soccer, because basically people that would maybe be interested in seeing Inter-Miami CF or another team would just hold out on a yearly basis and just go see, you know, Barcelona or whoever they wanted to see, Real Madrid or whatever, so... The whole idea to me was crazy. I mean, it, it made smart on a for for financials, but it just hurt the American aspect of the game. And my cat just got really even mad. The, even the cat hates Hi, the idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That really woke him up. Um, yeah, I, 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 when we talked about it before, I, I didn't necessarily disagree with you about the the impact on the sport in the United States, but I, I would say I, I think the difference for European soccer and American sports is that. Regular season championships really don't matter in American sports, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's one hundred percent. What's that in hockey? The President's Trophy, I think that uh, the the regular season points leader gets. Like it's it's a deal, it's something, but it's not what you're competing for. You're competing for the the, the playoff title, um, and those games, the, you know, winning La Liga is a big freaking deal. Winning the regular season points total is a big deal. So it is kind of like losing a kind of playoff game. Um, but I, I again, I, the thing that shocks me about it isn't that people oppose it; it's that people oppose it so, ve- so vehemently after it was announced. Because I assume that when it was announced, everyone was on board. That's the thing that's most shocking to me. Relevant Sports has done a very good job in the last few years of planning and organizing events. When they say things, they deliver on it. Oh, La Liga! I mean, uh, uh, you know, El Clasico in. Miami in North America, done. You know, you, you probably couldn't have imagined that a few years before. They made it happen. They're in the business of making big sporting events happen, and they're pretty effective at it. But, man, if, if this doesn't wind up panning out, it's going to be a, a big old egg on Stephen Ross's face. Well, I think the other thing here is that there's, there's a big arms race with, like, being the foremost global sports league. And, you know, La Liga and Serie A are so far behind the Premier League. Like no one really gives a shit about those two leagues outside of like the big teams, but people right. will sit. People will sit down and watch Burnley against Brighton, like you know, on a on a Saturday morning, <laughs> like no problem. Um, and I think that maybe there's a maybe there's a little quiver of worry from the NFL side now, because you know I have my opinions on you know the MLS has kind of been designed to sort of keep soccer in its corner and not and and not threaten the NFL. And, you know, I think, you know, trying to get a European Super League going and that kind of thing and trying to sort of water down, like, the fabric of soccer, you know, it's, it, that's kind of what some of this is about from the American side. But I think from the La Liga side, is they're desperate to make inroads into the Premier League's popularity and they probably see this as a good way of doing it. But the reality is it's never going to happen. No no soccer fan who can seriously call themselves a soccer fan is ever going to support this or go to this. And all you're going to get at the game is a, is a, is a bunch of day trippers who want to like try and you know take a selfie with Messi, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I would definitely presume that most of the American audience uh, that would be going to that is, probably falls into that category. Although there is something to be said. Look, and, and we're all sitting here – well, minus Lee, I guess, but we're all sitting here as American fans of European teams. And I can speak on my behalf that I have now seen Liverpool play in three different American cities on friendlies that most people who are legitimate fans, including myself, uh, would say are generally garbage games. But when you're walking through the desert you know, a, a pool of fetid water appears to be an oasis. When you don't get to see your team that often, it it is it is something to be said, even if it's a crap game. And so I, I do think there are definitely, well, there are plenty of people who wear the Ronaldo and Messi shirts and count themselves Barcelona or, or well, now Juventus, obviously, but you know what I mean. <laughs> count themselves among fans of those teams who aren't necessarily the, the most hardcore dedicated fans. There are probably more than enough people in Miami who would consider themselves soccer fans pretty legitimately who would pay good money to see that game. Um, and so I, 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 I don't know if it's the right approach, and I do wonder if it will ever happen if this La Liga North America fails, if you know uh, European leagues finally give up on that, uh, that initiative of bringing games outside of their home uh, countries and federations. But... Uh, 
it, it would have been interesting to see. It would have been interesting to see, and 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 you know, it's certainly not dead yet. But man, they're all—it's getting assailed from a whole lot of different angles. Um, no, I so, don't, don't want to talk about it no more. No one wants to talk about it anymore. <laughs> all right, we're done. Taste in the mouth, at least. Oh, so uh, let's uh, let's bring this in for a landing. One or two more things to discuss. Uh, Lee, your your new baby. Um, uh, you know, uh, photographer extraordinaire for the uh, UPSL. Um, tell us a little bit about that league. Admittedly, maybe it's a, an area of coverage where, on on our end, we we've been a little bit lacking. Um, but it it seems to be, especially this season, they are emerging as a bit of a local league force, especially with the collapse of some other uh, local leagues. Well, this is this this is the crying shame of soccer in this city is that. Um... Yeah, I, I went to watch my first, it's actually my first UPSL game, um, and it was the Florida Soccer Soldiers against uh, Union Deportivo Miami. And there's seven people there, you know what I mean? And people are, people are telling me that this city deserves soccer and uh, people want to support all Miami's teams, and there I am with the usual suspect. But the game was, you know, one-sided, but it was, you know, for a one-sided game, it was pretty entertaining. But the Florida Soccer Soldiers have got a very, very good team. And again, it highlights this thing as where does this team go? Like, you know, they're, they're hammering all the teams in this division and, and, and they've already reached a ceiling, which is a real shame. But the UPSL, I mean, we actually met the guy who runs um, the Florida Conference down there. Very nice guy. Um, and, you know, if, if, the, if the four of us went out and found 18 guys and put the money in our pockets, we could enter a, a team in that league next year. That's the downside of it. It's, it really is open to anyone. Like a couple of those teams are glorified rec teams. But again, the flip side of that is that the accessibility is a very good thing. So, you know, people should have the right to start up a team and go and play like in a structured league. Um, so I think there's, um, I think I'm right in saying that it's 14 teams in the league now playing each other once. There's no home and away advantage. Um, and it's a good league, you know, it's... Um, it's, it's a fun night out. The soccer is free. It's free live soccer. You can't say fairer than that. You can just waltz in there with your cooler. You can't say fairer than that. And, you know, some of the players down there can really play. You know, there's um, the one guy at the Soccer Soldiers, this Valentin Sabella. Oh, that kid, was, he is, that kid was good. Well, he is the son of the guy who was the manager for Argentina at the 2014 World Cup, um, Alejandro Sabella, right? And these are the kind of the stories that you can only find out like if you go out and you like support the local teams. Um, and it just blows my mind that the son of the guy who coached Argentina at a World Cup is playing in the lower leagues here. Um, but yeah, like it, it's moving in the right direction. It's um, you know it, it sits below the UPSL for me. You know those teams will get hammered in the UPSL most of them. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good. I would encourage people to go and watch it. You know, the the, the place, the Iowa State Park, the Orange Bowl Field, is 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 a fairly decent place to go and watch the game. There's no running track. There's none of that bollocks. You know, you're there. It's you, the fence, the field. So you're you're very close to the action. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to. There's a game coming up between Florida Soccer Soldiers and Miami Sun. Miami Sun are top of the table. So I think that one is happening in a couple of weekends' time, actually after the Florida Soccer Soldiers Open Cup game. Um, that'll be, a, if, you, if you've ever fancied trying a non-league game, that'll be the game to go to. It should be an absolute cracker. But very nice guys down there. Everyone, you know, people love seeing people going down there to support. And uh, yeah, I had a great time. Can't, can't recommend it enough. And a good transition is, uh, I think all of our uh, podcast favorite, the Red Force, has now joined the UPSL. So Absolutely maybe that correct. gives another little nudge to go watch a game. And I will do my shameless plug here where Red Force is playing Miami United this uh, Saturday, November 10th uh, at 8.30 p.m. at Kendall Soccer Park. And that's part of the South Florida Champions Cup. So you get to see a, a, an NPSL team uh, and a UPSL team face it off in a, in a local competition. So, I, You know, I have to say that, you know, UPSL it was kind of this uh, this foreign thing. I didn't. I I knew a bit about it. I knew some of the teams that were involved in it, but it's hard to gauge the seriousness of the league. I, I but I tell you what, the thing that got my attention. Speaking of Red Force, was that that Open Cup 
qualifying victory that knocked Red Force out of the Open Cup. Red Force have been about as consistent a participant in the Open Cup as you could find here in South Florida going back over the last few years. And the fact that soccer soldiers were able to edge them out in a really tight game, um, that that got my attention and got my interest, you know, to, to see a little bit more what was going on here. And it, that that is a solid club. And as you said, Miami Sun as well, sitting at the top of the table at the moment. That's going to be a real interesting matchup. And as you see, unfortunately, the folding of the, 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 the status of the APSL, you know, UPSL has a niche now. It, it, it has a, an opportunity to slip in there and kind of take over, especially with the addition of Red Force. Um, it's going to be real interesting over the next few weeks weeks and months to see the evolution of that league and its positioning uh, here in, in Dade and in South Florida because it does uh, have teams uh, going into Broward and beyond. Um, correct? I, I'm, I'm correct in saying that, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's the, it's a Florida South division, so it yes. kind of goes all the way up, you know, through Broward up to the Palm Beaches. Correct. Great. Um, so, yeah, be sure to check out that matchup, Florida Soccer Soldiers, Miami Sun. Uh, be sure to check out uh, Open Cup qualifying the next round, um, which should be in a few weeks. Am I right, Drew? Ooh, uh, I think it's... Did I stump you there? Yeah, Sorry, I, I, know I, that came, I remembered it, it and then I forgot it so quickly. The Open Cup game yeah. is, yes, th- is not th- this weekend or the weekend after that. It's the weekend after that, and I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I feel like it's the 19th. That sounds right. Okay, yes. 18th, 18th. That sounds right, too. Okay, so Sunday, okay, so so not this weekend, but next weekend. Sunday the 18th. So Sunday um, the 18th, yes. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, again. But it's an away e- game. It's up in um, Delray Beach. Okay, yeah, so we'll definitely want to keep one eye on that. You know, our, the Open Cup is our baby here at, uh, at Magic City Soccer, the Magic of the Cup. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be interesting to follow. And, and to see a new player on the stage, is, to me, is quite interesting. I'd like to see how far they can go. And, of course, <laughs> especially when we're talking about Miami team versus non-Miami team, uh, it's about as clear as we can get. We want as many uh, Miami entrants into the Open Cup as possible. Um, I, I was actually kind of disparaging about their name, but I've really come around to them now. They're, re- they're really good guys. Um, and um, once you get over the whole sack soldier thing, even their jersey is quite fly. They have these kind of neon green jerseys that stand out, you know. Oh, the black ones uh, are cool too. The black ones are cool yeah. as well. There's something for everyone. Like, you, you like neon, you like black. We got you covered in the UPSL. Drew, next jersey I, purchase alert. I will definitely say, and, and being quite honest, and, and, and the egg's on my face now, so I, I feel like I can say this. The name definitely put me off the team and the league for a little while because I was like, what is this? I know. What, what are they fighting on the field? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> it's just very confusing. But, yeah, I mean, they, they picked a name. They're happy with it. They stuck with it. And, and it seems to be serving them well. So, you know, all credit and praise uh, heading over in that direction. Um, any other business to attend to, gentlemen? Or uh, shall we bring this thing in to a close? Louisville won the USL final. Yes, they did. No Dragba goal. To Louisville, no Dragba goal. Dragba goes out with a loss, uh, regrettably for him. Um, Louisville, two USL championships in a row now, yes? Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So a big win for them. Congratulations to folks up in the Lou. Um, I'm really happy that Miami FC don't play in a league where the playoff final is on a Thursday evening, which is crazy. <laughs> At a baseball field. Yeah. On a baseball field in Louisville. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely not the worst thing to happen. Um, so that that's uh, on that note, that's interesting. Again, be sure to stick with us. Next couple of weeks will be interesting. We're hoping, I'm, I'm currently, uh, not to be too cryptic, but currently working on landing uh, a pretty significant guest um, that we can speak to um, regarding some issues related to Inter-Miami. And that's all I'll say. It's not Beckham. Landon Donovan. Until we're clear. Um, but uh, so we want to kind of reach out to the team and and, and speak to them on on some of the issues that are now moving forward and and hopefully we'll be able to speak with them in the next couple of days obviously we'll have coverage on magiccity.soccer and um, yeah so just stay tuned you know follow us at Magic City Soccer on Twitter uh, Magic City Soccer on Facebook Magic City Sock on Instagram and uh, you know you can follow us on Twitter we've mentioned well actually Abel I don't know if we've mentioned your handle so when we, when we go around the, the table to close out, be sure to mention uh, your handle so people can follow you there. Um, let's start off with Drew. Uh, Drew, as always, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to these NPSL winter meetings, man. 
Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, Lee, uh, everyone's favorite Welshman, thank you, sir. Yes, pleasure to be here as always. You want to check out some pictures from the UPSL? You can find me on the Instagram, lee.ifans. Yeah, so follow Lee on Instagram, and you can actually visit Magic City Soccer, and he kind of put up a bit of a pictorial from one of Florida Soccer Soldiers' games there, and uh, it's quite lovely. It's by far the best photography we have had on our website because usually it is me or Omar or Drew (laughs) using our iPhones (laughs) to take a picture. So it wasn't that hard to beat, but you did beat it, and and hats off to you because they're really cool. You know, the rain really helped. Uh, yeah. You know, really, really added some atmosphere to some of the shots. And I got a free shower, so there we go. Yeah, it's a real two for one. Um, Abel, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter if they're interested in checking out your uh, uh, opinions on soccer and otherwise? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can look me up at Miami Abel, A B E L, on literally everything. At Miami Abel. Uh, I like that. Social media consistency. That's yep. my policy, too. Matthew S. Bunch. Search for that and you'll find me. Um, so uh, that will bring a conclusion to our episode tonight. As always, you can add us on social media and let you know what you think about anything we've talked about. Comment on the, the post um, on our website or, yeah, just reach out to us. We're ha- always happy to hear from folks. Uh, so until next time, uh, go Inter Miami CF on their big election win. Go Miami FC or Miami FC 2, or NPSL Pro Miami FC, wherever it may be, and go Miami soccer. Come on, you soccer soldiers. Come on, you soccer soldiers.